0: This episode deals with a crime committed against a child. Please exercise self-care when choosing to listen. Occasionally, on the weeks when there isn't a full-length Person's Unknown episode, I will release bonus minisodes such as this one. These will cover cold cases that do not have enough researchable material available for a full episode, but are stories that are nevertheless worth telling. On the 1st of September 1939, the German army, employing the tactic of blitzkrieg, swept over the Poland border, and while they were met with fierce resistance, were already on their way to capture Warsaw. As a response, two days later, Britain, along with their ally France, declared war on Nazi Germany. The next six months or so were the period known as the Phony War. Britain was technically at war, and while there was some fighting, open hostilities had not yet commenced. Life in Britain had an odd atmosphere, with communities preparing themselves for possible bombing raids, and people, including young children, getting used to carrying gas masks everywhere they went. It was in the first month of the war, at the end of September 1939, when the crime on which this Minnesota centres took place. Perhaps the focus on foreign affairs and the threat of German planes and tanks crashing all in their path meant this case did not receive the attention it warranted. In the chaos and fear of that period, this crime has sadly been forgotten. There are surprisingly few articles on this crime. I will do my best to present this story, or at least the parts that are in the public domain. As best I can. This is the oldest open investigation for an unsolved murder in Wales. Joyce Cox was a four year old girl who lived with her parents, Arthur and Irene, and a seven year old brother Dennis, at Hale Don in Whitchurch, on the outskirts of Northwest Cardiff. Thursday the twenty eighth of September began like any other day. Joyce had breakfast, then at eight thirty AM, headed off to school with her older brother. Joyce attended Whitchurch Infant School and was used to walking the short distance to and from her home. Joyce had a spring in her step, as it was her birthday in a couple of days, and her dad had promised her a present. School finished for the morning as usual, and the children returned to their homes for lunch. The walk home was not far, around a kilometre or so. Joyce began the walk home with her older brother Dennis, and their cousin Alan. At 12.40pm, Dennis and Alan arrived at Alan's house. Dennis's aunt and Alan's mum, Kathleen Phillips, asked them where Joyce was, and they replied that she was playing in the garden. Joyce was not there. She had vanished. When Joyce hadn't returned home by the usual time of 12.45pm, her mother Irene was worried. Irene spent the rest of the afternoon wandering between the house and the school knocking on doors of relatives and friends to ask if anyone had seen her daughter. The police were called a little after 3pm and an extensive search of the neighbourhood and surrounding countryside was underway by that evening. Joyce's father Arthur was a gas labourer by trade but he was also a private in the territorial army. He was currently on manoeuvres but was granted special permission from his commanding officer to go and assist with the search for his daughter. By nightfall on Thursday, Joyce had not been found, and so the search resumed the following morning, with over 200 people from the community involved, including children from local girl guide and scout groups. A description of Joyce was circulated in the press. She was said to be plump and of normal growth with fair straight hair and a fair complexion with rosy cheeks. Joyce was wearing a blue velvet frock, navy coat, Scottish plaid socks and ankle strap shoes. Joyce was carrying her gas mask, which was labelled with her name and address. On the evening of the 29th of September, around 36 hours after Joyce was last seen, her father Arthur arrived in Cardiff to be greeted with the worst possible news. At 7.30pm, William Ward of Tonguinlice and his pet spaniel were out assisting with the search, when the dog started to pull him in a new direction. He followed the dog's lead, which directed him to some bushes on an embankment by the disused Coritan railway station. There he found the body of Joyce. The focus of the police was then switched to finding Joyce's killer and within days they released information pertaining to people they wished to speak to. The first was a man wearing black and with a black cap who a schoolboy said he saw with Joyce on the evening of the 28th of September, the day she disappeared. This sighting was largely dismissed by investigators later on and was not mentioned at the inquest. Police were also keen to find a man who was seen in the area and said to walk with a slouch, and another man who was hanging around on Merthyr Road, not far from Wychurch Common. Later, the police asked if anyone had seen a man pushing a wheelbarrow with a large sack in it around the Wychurch area on the day of the murder. An autopsy was carried out and it was confirmed that Joyce had been sexually assaulted It was reported that Joyce was fit and healthy, but did have a lymphoid tissue condition that left her more susceptible to death from shock. The cause of death was given as shock and partial asphyxia by manual strangulation. In the past, it seems shock was often included in the cause of death for child murder victims. To be clear, this is not the child being frightened to death, but a medical condition describing what happens when blood pressure drops so low that blood supply cannot reach vital organs. Time of death was given as 4pm on the 28th of September, with a window of two hours either side. The examination also discovered that Joyce had been fed a meal before her death. This was confirmed as not the one given to her by her mother for breakfast. Some clues were unearthed that could link to the killer. A copy of the Western Mail newspaper from Wednesday the 27th of September was found close to the body. The newspaper was said to include a penciled quotation. What the quotation says has never been released. A tobacco pouch was found nearby, as well as Joyce's gas mask, and five days later, her underwear, which had been missing from the body, was also found. Early on in the case, the Glamorganshire Police sought assistance from the Metropolitan Police and Scotland Yard detectives with expertise on child abduction and murder cases were sent. Detectives understood that time was of the essence and that inquiries in the local community needed to happen swiftly so that people's memories would be fresh. Joyce's school friends could prove key in finding information and a questionnaire was given out to children at a school. The questions were, Did you know Joyce Cox? When did you last see her? Where did you see her and what time was it? Did you see her with any man? Has any man recently offered you pennies or sweets? If so, can you describe him? Lots of children answered that they had seen Joyce on Thursday but none had seen her after 1 p.m. A few said that they had been offered sweets, but descriptions of the man were vague. This last answer could point to a predator who had been working up to this crime, but was obviously someone whose appearance did not cause them to stand out. An inquest into Joyce's death was held at the end of October. David Rees, the East Glamorgan coroner, oversaw proceedings and he said he hoped the publicity generated would lead to someone coming forward with new testimony about the afternoon. The medical examination from the post-mortem was reviewed, as well as evidence from eyewitnesses. Accounts were heard of schoolchildren reporting they had seen Joyce playing in a small alleyway, Lucky Lane, off Valindra Road at 12.45pm. Robert Thomas, who worked at the post office nearby, confirmed these sightings and said he saw Joyce at around this time in the lane. In terms of distance, this is very close to her home, Valindra Road being around 200 metres from the Cox's front door. It was obviously a very distressing time for the family. During proceedings, a pile of children's clothes were placed in front of Joyce's mother, Irene, and she was asked if she could identify them. She burst into tears and went out of the court, where she then collapsed. A member of the public, who was in attendance, loudly rebuked the court for showing Irene the clothes and putting her through that experience. The jury was asked to consider whether this was a case of manslaughter or murder. They wasted no time and came to a verdict of murder by person or persons unknown. Police worked on the theory that the murder did not take place where the body was found and that the meal she was given proved she had been taken to a house first. This was a time when cars were few and far between. In 1950, only around 15% of households in the UK had cars, so this figure would have been even less in 1939. The killer had to be someone who lived in Whitchurch and within walking distance of the railway embankment. The distance between where Joyce was last seen, and the railway embankment, is only around one kilometre. Joyce wasn't killed at the embankment, so he must have carried or transported a body there. Looking at maps of the area, he would have had to have done this by walking along main roads whilst carrying the body. No easy task without drawing attention to yourself. Over the course of the investigation, literally thousands of people were talked to, but sadly no arrests were ever made, and no suspects have ever been named by the police or in the press. For a little while, one line of inquiry centred on the local mental hospital. The large grounds of the hospital were adjacent to Villinger Road, and there was a theory that a patient could be the murderer. I'm not sure what evidence pointed them in this direction. It may have been the police trying to exhaust every avenue of inquiry, or it could have been due to prejudice. Either way, nothing came of this. Over 80 years have now gone, and Joyce's parents have long since passed. Her mère Irene died in 2003, never having seen the culprit brought to account for what he did. Sadly, her brother Dennis has also passed away. He could never forgive himself for allowing Joyce to leave his sight on that fateful walk home from school. Needless to say, Dennis was blameless and it's awful that his life was marred by this feeling of guilt. One family member has continued to fight Joyce's corner and has pursued justice for her consistently over the decades. Joyce's cousin, Terry Phillips wasn't even born when she was murdered but he has done a lot of his own research into the case and in 2015 revealed some of what he had uncovered. Mr Phillips was interviewed by newspaper reporters including James Murray of the Daily Express and said his progress in the case was being thwarted by the Metropolitan Police. Scotland Yard had come to assist the Glamorganshire Police early in the investigation but were now refusing to release documents relating to the case until 2040. Police have now confirmed that there were two suspects in the case, and Mr Phillips believes one of them was a former police officer. He wrote to the Metropolitan Police asking for the case notes to be released, since the suspects would be dead by now. They replied, saying that a person is named in the notes as a suspect who is described in a derogatory manner and should not be linked with the murder. As it is an unsolved murder with potential for reinvestigation, the Metropolitan Police chose to invoke a special rule preventing anyone seeing the case notes for a 100 years. This is to prevent information getting into the public sphere which could lead to the suspect being identified. This suggests that the person could be alive still, or if deceased, that his legacy and reputation would be unnecessarily sullied and harmed. Terry Phillips said this feels like a cover up, as though the Metropolitan Police are trying to prevent the truth from coming out. He says that the day Joyce was murdered, his mother, Joyce's aunt, saw a retired police officer who lived locally walking with a wheelbarrow which had a big sack in it. Mr Phillips admits the man did have an allotment, so it may have had an innocent explanation, but his mother always thought that Joyce's body was in the sack on the wheelbarrow. He also adds that the man's wife was away that day. This is obviously the man with the wheelbarrow that the police were seeking witnesses for back in 1939. Something like a wheelbarrow would certainly have made the task of transporting a body a lot easier to do. And in 1939, it wouldn't have been so unusual a sight as it would be today, especially as Witchit did indeed have allotments at the time. In the aforementioned article, Terry Phillips said he is desperately trying to get the tobacco pouch, newspaper and gas mask found at the scene retested for prints and even DNA but is hitting a brick wall with this request. In 2017, South Wales Police announced that a cold case team were undertaking a review of Joyce's murder using notes and evidence collected by the Glamorganshire Police. It appears they did not have access to the documents held by the Metropolitan Police. At the time of this announcement, police sources confirmed that the prime suspect in the case had died as long ago as the 1950s. With this new information, Terry Phillips says it makes no sense for the notes to still be under lock and key for another 19 years. He has written to the National Archives again to see if they could help in releasing the case notes. A key question is whether the retired policeman was the main suspect or the other man who the Met Police obviously think was suspected unfairly. It's difficult to say. Joyce disappeared so quickly and it was the middle of the day when lots of people were around so she must have been taken to a house very near Lucky Lane where she was last seen. Whoever the killer was undoubtedly lived nearby and probably resided in one of the houses Joyce passed on her route home. I suspect he had seen children passing his house many times and probably seen Joyce herself. For whatever reason, he decided this was the day to strike. He may well have thought about doing it before, but an opportunity arose because Joyce had fallen behind her brother and cousin. She was an easy target. Unless something changes, it will be 2040, before the names of the suspects are made public. As proved by the Muriel Drinkwater case, which we covered in episode 9, DNA evidence can still exist and be used effectively, even in cases from over half a century ago. It would be interesting to know if any of the items found at the scene, or even Joyce's clothes, still exist and could be tested for forensic evidence. It may be a long shot, but Joyce's relatives deserve the chance of finding some answers, which might help to bring some closure. In the meantime, We remember Joyce.